Hello and welcome back to All That Trauma, episode number two. I am so excited that you returned uh, for episode two of All That Trauma. And I'll tell you, if you have not listened to episode one, it would be a great idea to jump back and listen to that so you understand why the heck I even started this podcast to begin with, why I'm so fired up about all that trauma. And um, really, this uh, episode is going to build on that just a little bit. And so that you'll be in the know and you won't be completely lost, it'd be great to head back to episode one and listen to that. So you'll hear my story. Now, I will tell you, um, just just in case, uh, I did grow up in childhood abuse and then moved on to the foster care system. And that is really um, what fired my passion for this. So uh, today's episode is actually going to be called Instructions Not Included. And what that's going to be about is coming out of that crazy situation and all the drama and all the depth of pain and uh, craziness that that life was. And then how I got out of it, kind of picked up all the pieces and ran with it. Now, Honestly, to start off, I'm going to tell you all how I did it all wrong because I'm really hoping that this captures an audience like foster kids that are still in foster care um, or kids that have just emancipated or kids that are like in their early 20s really trying to navigate this life and figure out how to really um, survive right now. So let me just tell you how I did it all wrong. So firstly... um, when I was in high school, I barely, barely graduated. Like so much that my algebra teacher had to call the day before graduation to let me know if I was even going to be walking that day because me graduating was contingent on my final exam. So that was terrifying, but I barely, barely made it. And I did get into A&M Commerce which Commerce is this little city. Um, It's outside of, it's in Texas, but outside of the DFW Metroplex. And it's literally this small little town. It is, the university is pretty much all that's there. And uh, the population there is made up of the faculty and the students that are there. And that's all that's there, but it's big and it's fun and it's cool. And I got there to start my little journey into the adult life. And you can't see it, but I'm doing air quotes because I was still very much a child. And because of all the craziness that I had just been through, I got there and literally had no instructions. Like, firstly, the only reason I even went there is because my brother convinced me that that's what I needed to do. But I was not very close to him because we didn't really grow up together. So because of that, you know, I got there, but I mean, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have a life coach. I didn't have anybody telling me not to do crazy things. I didn't have anybody telling me, you know, it is very important that you go to class in the in the purpose. I guess when you're a kid, you just don't really understand the reason for it. You know that that's what you're supposed to do, but why do you really have to do it? Now, for a regular, I'll just say a regular normal kid with, you know, a good support system at home, you know, it might not be so detrimental. But had I known what I know now, I would have definitely played my cards a lot differently. So for one, 50% of foster kids don't even graduate high school to begin with because statistically everything is just so set up. All the stars are aligned for failure. Uh, you know, the support system, the mental handicaps, um, all those things definitely weigh heavily on graduating high school. So from there, then going to college, that was just a miracle. It just happened to be that my brother kind of, you know, 
pushed me in that direction. But had that not happened, I have absolutely no idea where I would have been and where I would have been floating at. Um, so from there, you know, being being in college was something so mind-blowing to me because now I'm out of captivity. I don't have anybody telling me exactly what I have to do and I'm having to go to visits and I'm having to have visits from caseworkers and I'm going to visit my brothers and sisters and all this different stuff, all the calamity that's there. Now I'm free. I can make my own choices. I'm doing everything that I want my way, which was awful. So with nobody there to lead me or guide me or make sure that I'm turning in my report cards to them or you know, telling me, hey, you've got to get to class. You've got to set goals. You've got to do whatever I never had any of that. So for that reason, I did everything that was absolute chaos. So, you know, firstly, I wasn't getting care packages. So like little, you know, kids and um, roommates and stuff like that, they would get these boxes full of all these great items like blankets and candles, like light this candle and think of us if you're missing home and all this drama or whatever. I didn't get that. I didn't get gas cards to go buy snacks and all the crazy little things that that they would get, it was just completely the opposite of that. And I just did everything I needed to do to survive during that time. So one of the things that I did, um, I did get a job um, and I was working at a library shelving books or whatever, but I was only getting paid $5 an hour. I was only working four days a week and you can do the math on that. It was very little pay. My paycheck was super minuscule and I paid my cell phone with it and would go to the grocery store, but that just ran out super quick. I had no idea. So I was set up. So, you know, I was set up for some good things, but I had no idea the gravity of why those things were set up for me. For instance, um, anytime the cafeteria was open, then my meals were free. That was provided by the state of Texas. Okay, fine. But the issue with that is that the cafeteria is only open certain hours. So certain hours in the morning, certain hours at lunch, and then certain evening hours. So my classes would have to line up around that. Nobody really told me that. So I just signed up my classes, however, and then I had to like sometimes run just to make it to the cafeteria. And at night, if I worked until nine o'clock, cafeteria closed at eight, then I wouldn't have dinner or I'd have to have something that I had, had got from the store. So if my money was low, whatever, <laughs> that night I'm not eating. And I had a lot of different little situations like that. And don't get me wrong, there's this is like a very real situation in college. My roommate, um, she actually, we have stories where we did crazy things to get food. One time that was us scrounging up 44 cents just to go buy a crunchy taco from Taco Bell. And we sat in the car and we each took tiny little bites back and forth of this taco. <laughs> It was pretty hilarious looking back, but in that moment, it was very a very real moment. It was a realization that oh my god, like this, there is no Calvary coming in to save us. Like this is very real, and those weekends were very very long. Like the cafeteria was only open very few hours during the weekend. So if you didn't didn't get there on time or for whatever reason, um, you just weren't eating or you're eating ramen noodles, which is then why I gained a ton of weight. So, you know, they say the freshman 15, I don't even know how much weight I gained, but it was it was a stupid amount. And of course, when I'm going to the cafeteria, nobody's giving me food conscious information and telling me to be, you know, 
aware of what you're eating and all that stuff. I'm like eating what I can, um, knowing that it's possible that, you know, the cafeteria might not be open for my next meal or whatever. So that happened. And then if I wasn't eating at the cafeteria, then I'm going, I'm going back to my dorm and I'm eating ramen noodles. So it was a recipe for disaster. And it was, there were friends there that were pretty cool. I had, I got really close with the track team. And so one of my friends, she would say, you know, you should really come running with us and stuff like that. So they kind of coddled me a little bit, but for the most part, I was alone. I discovered frat parties. I was drinking. I got tattoos. I got nose piercings. I started smoking, which is totally out of my character. Like I was not raised like that. My family, from every family that I went into, I, there was nobody that smoked. It was just peer pressure. Cause I mean, at least I had peers to pressure me. So actually me and my friend, we started smoking black and milds, which is weird. So we did that. And that's how I picked up that habit. So bad habits. And I'm not going to school. I'm not going to class. I'm going to frat parties on the weekends. Um, and then some of my friends would leave on the weekend. So there was a lot of lonely times. So it was mayhem my very first year. Uh, and it was, <laughs> I mean, I don't really know how to put it into words. It was, it was scary. It was also exciting. It was terrifying. I mean, it was a good amount of all of it. And the truth is I was doing some of the things that I was doing were definitely high risk behaviors. There was this time. Okay. So me and my friend, we made friends with these two guys that were in college and they were super nice. And we kind of accompanied every, each other everywhere that we went, but we didn't know these guys. Like we started knowing them in like September. And one of them was like, you know, my uncle, he owns this cabin in Quinlan, which is this tiny city that I didn't even know existed. And he's like, you know, it's abandoned. Nobody lives here. We should go there and just bring all of our blankets and stuff. Cause at this point it's winter and we should just go stay the night there. And me being me, I'm like, of course, you know, and neither, neither one of us are thinking anything terrible about this. And I am such a crime junkie fanatic at this point in my life right now that I know all the red flags are going up at this point and I should have said no and that should have never, ever happened. And luckily, by the grace of God, you know, nothing crazy happened, but we did. We went out to this cabin completely abandoned next to this like lake, completely secluded. We could have been like raped and murdered and we weren't luckily and nothing crazy even happened. I know where everybody's head is at in this, but literally it was just this stupid night of jokes and drinking and we fell asleep, woke up frozen in the morning and we all thought it was the dumbest idea. By the time we woke up on the hard floor, it was just ridiculous, but that could have been a terrible situation. And that is another thing that lines up with kids that come out of mayhem, like early on from their life, that they do all kinds of high risk behaviors because it's kind of like there's nothing to lose and stuff like that. And I remember in that moment, not even thinking like, this could be terrifying. Like, what if the uncle comes back? Or what if it is occupied? Or what if this is the setup? And oh my God, all the, all the things could have happened there. But uh, again, God had his hand on me in that moment. But it goes to show there was all kinds of, in my head, there was not any walls, there was not any security blankets or anything like that. I was just kind of living life, you know? Um, so from there, like immediately I was overweight. I'm already smoking. And then soon after that, um, if I'll listen to episode one, then you'll know that um, my high school sweetheart, eventually we kind of stayed connected. And then we ended up um, getting together after my first year 
of college. And I dropped out of college. And the reason is because I'm, I didn't want to go back to that. I don't want to go back to this life of like, I don't know when I'm going to eat again and I'm gaining weight and I don't even know I'm there to begin with all of that stuff, which, you know, I, so I eventually, the first person that was like, you know, I love you and all this stuff. I'm like, okay, this is meant to be and all that stuff. And so at that point, I started still doing crazy things because, you know, um, nobody's telling me at that age that um, really what you're fighting for. You know, I think kids, whenever they come out of high school and stuff like that, they don't understand that they're really in a race for their life. Like, what are you going to do with your life? Where are you going from here? Like, you've come out of school, you've been coddled, you've been nurtured, you've been taken care of. And so now you have to get from point A to point B. Nobody really, really knows that, but especially in foster care, uh, those, all of the connections that you have been given, um, from the, the welfare, the child welfare system is, it's just gone. So you have, you're just kind of fending for yourself. And in that, I mean, I started doing other things that, you know, I definitely shouldn't have done. I was doing cocaine, which was crazy that again, out of character, like smoking and doing cocaine, like that was nothing that I was raised with, but because I didn't have, um, anybody there to tell me not to do it. I did it. And then um, unprotected sex, that was another thing that that came quickly. And I was doing that without even being keenly aware that I could get pregnant. Because, you know, you hear that in school and whatever, and you see some people get pregnant, whatever. But a girl does not know that she can get pregnant. And I've, I've had this discussion with other women um, my age that are like, yeah, you just, you really don't know that your body is capable of doing something like carrying a child and bringing it into the world. And so I did, I got pregnant. I got pregnant at 21 and my God, it was like, what the heck? Not only am I pregnant, like I'm legit pregnant. I am bringing a baby into this world. This is insane. And then I ended up getting married and, you know, trying to make all of that right. So I know that if I knew some of the things that were stacked against me, I would have played my cards completely different because every single step, I start thinking of all the little things that I did during that time frame, and every single one of those things could have literally turned me into, it could have put me in, in prison, it could have, I could have winded up dead, you know, strung out on drugs, all these different things, and luckily, you know, I was able to reel it all in, and actually, when I got pregnant, that's what saved me from, you know, my cocaine addiction, and that was, even though it was brief, it, it uh, probably six months, maybe even a little bit more than that. That was a scary time because there was times we weren't even buying groceries. We're simply spending all of our money on drugs. And then we even had like, we had a drug dealer, like who has a drug dealer? We had a drug dealer and he was super cool. And he'd be like, you can come do cocaine in our living room and whatever, like crazy, like that kind of stuff. Uh, prior to this, I would have never thought I would have ever, ever done anything like that. But in not having kind of that, that guidance or anything like that, you just fall into these, into these things that you never, ever think that you would fall into. So for anybody, any foster kid, anybody coming out of crazy situations where you just don't have a very good, um, close connection with people that are guiding you or helping you navigate through this, this is definitely stuff that I want to impart in you so that you understand it is real. You can get pregnant. You can get addicted to drugs. You can start bad habits like smoking, even if nobody else around you did. You can get, you know, start drinking and become an alcoholic, whatever it is, which 
you know, luckily I, I didn't far, fall too far into that, but it could have gone so much crazier. Now, I told you some of the statistics. One of them, 50% of foster kids will never graduate from high school or obtain a GED. So that being said, there's some real, real work that you have to put in. And the cool thing is, at least for me, if I know things like this ahead of time, then I get ahead of it. I push way past this. Like, you're not going to graduate high school. Like, watch me do that. Like, the same thing with smoking. So I smoked for a good amount of my 20s. I want to say seven, seven or eight years, something like that. And, you know, I could not stop smoking and I would freak out if I didn't have a cigarette. And I would always look inside my console to make sure that I had enough for my morning break, my lunch break, and my afternoon break. It was, it was too much. Like I was definitely addicted to that. And somebody told me, you can't quit smoking. And that's all I needed to be like, yeah, watch me. And that's the way that I work. So if I know that there's something that somebody's telling me, you can't do this or, statistically, you're not going to be able to come this far or whatever. Like, watch me. So if I knew these things ahead of time, I think things would have been quite a bit different, but that's why I want to impart that in you. So there's that. Um, 20% of foster children will become instantly homeless. So that means right after they graduate and right after the state lets them go, which now in the state of Texas, you can actually stay until you're 21, which is amazing. Like that is phenomenal. As long as you are in school at that time and and continuously prove that you are staying in secondary school, you're able to stay in foster care, which is amazing. But 20% of foster kids, as soon as they come out, they're going to be instantly homeless. That means out of 26,000 kids that are aging out of school, out of, out of foster care every single year, immediately 5,200 of them are going to be homeless. And it's actually Uh, Because of COVID, those statistics have actually been heightened. In the state of Texas, now more than 25% are instantly homeless. 43% reported that the pandemic had a negative impact to their living situation. So these are some some painful things to read and understand when you're really thinking about the humanity of this. Like these are actual people. These are actual children that are coming out of a situation that's dismal. And that's not really even their choice. And then immediately they just don't even have a home. They don't have a place to stay. So the people that you're seeing on the streets, stuff like that, those, those, a good amount of them are these kids that are coming from this situation. Um, 55% of those, uh, those that were aging out of foster care reported that they didn't have easy access to food. So that's another crazy, crazy number. Just think how easy it is for you to go to the fridge and get food, get water, get whatever, run to the store and yada, yada. They don't have, they don't even have easy access to food. 55% of them. Um, Within four years, 70% will be under government assistance. That is a huge number. That is, that is a crazy, crazy number. You're talking about 400,000 kids are in foster care each year and eventually once they age out that 70% of them are going to be under government assistance. 65% of these kids are going to couch surf that just going to go from house to house to house. It's kind of what they know anyway, they're familiar with and they're good with. And then more than a third are already parents when they get out of foster care. Another crazy number. That is absolutely insane. Again, because the education to educate these kids on, Hey, you can get pregnant (laughs) is, is just not there. So those are, those are insane statistics. If you really thought about this as, you know, your own children, if this was the statistics that were, you know, stacked up against your kids, I mean, it would really, really, 
resonate with you. So uh, you're 50% more likely to pick up smoking, 50% more likely to become obese. Uh, Another crazy number, 85% of all human trafficking were at one point in the child welfare system. That is, that's insane. So all of these things are stacked up against you. It's absolutely crazy. So if I, again, if I knew these things early on, I would have put up more of a fight. But now I'm telling you, I know these things now. And so if you are just getting into the world of adulthood, I would love for you to listen to some of this stuff. And it is sound, it's going to sound so basic. It's going to sound so basic, but when I put it to you, in, in a different way. Um, hopefully it will sit with you a different way. So firstly, don't jump the gun and leave school. So if you're in high school, I know how painful it is. I understand how frustrating it is. I understand how f- unfair it is. Um, the different things that you have to do, you know, going th- to all the different doctors and having caseworkers and having, you know, um, you're having to pop pills and all that stuff. And it's, it's craziness and there's a lot of depression. There's a lot of mental anguish that's going on there, but you have to stick it out because it is contingent on you staying in school for you to be able to go on to secondary school. And if you are in secondary school, then you're starting, you're going to get, um, you're going to get waivers, tuition waivers and stuff like that, as well as scholarships. And it covers all of the things like housing, books, tuition, food, all of those things. So then you're covered for another four years of livelihood. So just think on that. Like if you just jump out and you're going to be couch surfing and all that stuff, it's going to be so much more difficult to reel that in than just to simply stick it out and go from point A to point B so that you can go to college. And sure, if you want to party on the weekend, that's your prerogative. But if you're if you stick it out and really, really pay attention to what you're doing and start really setting goals for yourself and, and being accountable you're going to set yourself up for blowing these statistics out of the water. So 38 states in the U.S. have adopted tuition waivers. So for the most part, most states have something set up for you to, to, um, to excel in this, even though statistics show that it's, it's still only 3% of foster kids will earn a degree in their lifetime, even though they have this stuff set up in place. So if you know those things, and if you're like me, and those kind of things actually fuel you, then so be it. Like, get on with yourself. Um, a mentor. Find an adult role model. I cannot, literally, I feel like if I had somebody there to simply say, you know, to hold me accountable, someone to steer me in the right direction, someone to give me advice, someone to ask me if I went to my classes, somebody to show me their report card, somebody to set up an expectation. Um, Also consistency, somebody consistently there. The major thing that's lacking in foster care is going to be consistency. You're moving all over the place. Your family situation is not consistent. It's frustrating. I understand that. But if you can find somebody to cling to, and if it's not an adult, you know, if it's somebody that's just maybe I'm not not necessarily older than you, but maybe you have a friend or somebody that you can tell just has a lot that are a lot more grounded or something like that, find somebody that's a positive role model that can mentor you. Um even tell them, say, hey, this is what I need to do. I need to show you my report card and from, you know, I need to be making a 3.7 GPA from this point forward. And I need you to ask me for a report card. Do something like that. Set yourself up for, for stuff like that. Um, it's also a reliability thing. So 
you can call them if you need them, somebody that you can reach out to, somebody that you can tell, you know, hey, I'm going through this or whatever that can just simply listen. Sometimes that's all that you need. So that is a good thing to find you a mentor that can help guide you in this. Healthy habits. So <laughs> the reason this, this to me, it's funny and it's not funny. I didn't have any of that. I was not exercising. And now because of the lifestyle that I live where I love exercising and I love taking care of myself. And of course I enjoy my sweets and all that stuff and, you know, go overboard sometimes, but I'm very, very mindful of it. And it is so important to create healthy habits for yourself, diet and exercise and rest. It is so important. So 35% of children in foster care had an increased BMI. So that means they got into foster care and they just, their body mass index went through the roof. And there's a few reasons for that. Um, Eating disorders are generated a lot of times because of children that have gone through neglect where they weren't fed or didn't know where the next meal was coming from. They would come into the system and they would start binge eating and they would do things like, you know, um, hiding food and, and eating food in closets and stuff. I have, I have stories from foster care of crazy situations like that. Like kids will eat an insane amount of food if they're not watched over. And it's because of the situations that they've been put into. Um, so that can cause that. And then also a lot of kids in foster care are prescribed SGAs, which is the second generation antipsychotics. Those are majorly used. Like they, the prescriptions in foster care are, to me, they're out of control because I feel like you can really do things a different way to get children under control. But I know there's so many kids. And so this is kind of a, a way to that they see that they can control it. So because of that, that actually um, has kids gaining weight as well. Those are known for having weight gain. Um, And then a lot of kids will turn to food for coping mechanism. So all of this stuff, if you're dealing with that in foster care and then thinking that you're going to get out and all of a sudden be able to control yourself and have some kind of self-control and and know when to say enough is enough and I'm going to make healthy choices, you're not. The, the, real, the reality is that you're not unless you're mindfully thinking of that each and every day. If you have to write it down and say, this is what I'm going to eat today or whatever. And at this point, you have all technology is at your fingertips. So if you are in school, you're going to have access to computers. And you'll be able to get on there and find diet and exercise um, regimens that you can actually do, you know, ways to do like little fit exercises in your dorm room or whatever, just doing push-ups and doing sit-ups, getting a little bit of cardio in for the day. That doesn't even cost anything. So, so important to set yourself up um, for for a little bit better existence early on. Um, and then resting, making sure that you're getting enough sleep. You have to have, the the statistics are all over the place with that, but later studies show that you should have seven to nine hours of sleep every single night. And that's going to give you the best mindset. And if you're already, if you're already set back, if you're already dealt a bad hand when it comes to mindset and the way that your brain is functioning and your cognitive development, then it's so important to do the things that you do have control over so that you can have a a better start to your day. And so you can have better thinking processes during your day. So getting enough sleep is super important. Set your alarm, put out, turn off your, your devices and go to sleep. Um, the next thing is going to be therapy. I did not do this in college at all. Like, and I wish now, especially because now, so I'm on this journey trying to heal and all this stuff. And I now I'm like, therapy is the bomb. Like you can talk to people and um, really get everything off your chest and then be validated in the way that you're feeling. Um, 
And the crazy thing is that it's normal to get therapy. I know people that did not grow up in the foster care system. I know people that did not get abused. I know people that had fairly normal upbringings, but life is difficult and they have to get therapy. And it's so very normal. It is necessary. So if you know that you already got all these crazy things that you've dealt with, don't feel any shame in getting help. Don't get any feel any shame in going to a counselor and talking to them. Don't feel any shame in journaling, doing whatever you need to do uh, to get some of that stuff out. One of the most prominent issues in foster kids coming out is going to be mental health issues. 400,000 kids in care, as I mentioned, 80% of those have significant mental disabilities. Foster children that come out of the system are also three times more likely to commit suicide. PTSD is seen in 25% of emancipated foster kids. So if you know those things, they're statistics. That means they have historically shown themselves time and time and time and time again. There's no shame in it. If you have had no no real um, consistent upbringing Things are going to be hard. Things are going to be tough. And it's okay to get help. And it's okay to talk to people about it. In fact, it's going to be a better outcome if you do. So I encourage you, don't be afraid to do that. Reach out to whoever you need to reach out to to get it all off your chest. Um, now, <laughs> this one, I talked about this before. So don't have unprotected sex. Girls, you can get pregnant. You can get pregnant. And in fact, I probably shouldn't even say you can get pregnant. You will get pregnant. There, <laughs> the statistics show more that you will get pregnant. In fact, I heard another statistic today that if you are uh, get pregnant as a teenager, you're 88% more, um, you're more likely to get pregnant again as a teenager. So you will get pregnant if you're having unprotected sex. Best thing, stay abstinent. There's nothing great about sex that early on anyway, but if that is something that is happening, it needs to be protected. You need to be protecting yourself from all the things, not just pregnancy, all the STDs that are out there. You never know what you're dealing with. So understand that those things are very real and they are life-changing things. Bringing a human into this world whenever you are having a hard time feeding yourself is a terrible idea. So when it comes to that, think think on the front end of that and understand that bringing a child into this world is a it is a lifelong commitment. So make sure that you're doing things that make more more sense. Don't pick up bad habits. So drinking and smoking and drugs, of course. So those that are aging out of foster care are five times more likely to pick up substance abuse because it's a it's a way of coping. It's a coping mechanism. So if they get peer pressured into doing this and then all of a sudden it's something that's so addicting that they can't get out of, that is a major, major reason that there are so, so many that are addicted to drugs and, and that have become full-blown alcoholics and they have some kind of childhood adversity. There's crazy connections with that. You know, and at one point, look, I, I did pick up smoking and that was something, as I mentioned, I was not put around that in growing up yet. I picked it up and I smoked for seven years until somebody told me that I couldn't quit. And when I finally did that, I, you know, that was such a weight off of me, but it was, that was not easy. That was not easy. So I'm telling you, save yourself the heartache, save yourself the frustration, save yourself the money, save yourself the time of having to go to, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous classes. There are so many things that are not good about picking up any of these things, knowing that it's highly probable that you will become addicted to them. So just don't even get into that 
it's just not even a race that you want to run. So um, get a job. Again, that sounds super basic. It sounds super easy. It sounds just like, okay, I get it, get a job. No, get a job. Fill out applications. For one, this is going to fill up some space on to where you're not going to be able to do all those other things that you might be pressured in doing. Get yourself a job so that you can immediately start that. You want to start yourself a resume. You want to start yourself. And there's all kinds of things out there. There's all kinds of resources on starting resumes. You can go online and just fill one in with your name and your address and your phone number and what skills you have. So do that. And it's so important because within four years of aging out of foster care, 50% of children will have no earnings. And those who do have earnings have an income average of $7,500 a year. That is way, way below poverty. That doesn't do anything. That is literally scraps. So if you are listening to anything I say, get a job, get a job, get a job or two jobs. You have nothing else to do. You don't have a whole lot of, you don't have kids running around. You don't have a husband to attend to or a wife to attend to. You are able to do anything that you want to do. So if you need to get a job or two or three, whatever you need to do to start accruing income, because the truth is, as I mentioned, once that schooling is over and once those state waivers and all the state help and scholarships drop. And once you're past that certain age limit, it's done and you have to fend for yourself. Those things are not easy. So make sure that you're doing things to really set yourself up for good things. So the bottom line in in this episode is going to be that, okay, at-risk youth or vulnerable population It doesn't have anything to do with your choices early on. A lot of those things that you went through had no, it had nothing to do with the choices that you made. So there's no shame in getting help. There's no shame in, in really trying to connect with all of these things that I just named because you're only gonna set yourself up for good things in the end. So make sure that you're doing something so that you'll have a fair outcome. A lot of new studies are actually coming out that are talking about the complexity of resilience. And what I want, the reason I want to discuss that is because a lot of time people think that this is just kind of a death sentence. And it's not. It's really not. Um, Even though statistics are so, so highly stacked against you, there is also something called a resiliency factor. And what that is It just measures the protective factors that kick in when a child is is really going into overdrive to cope with what they've just been through. So they understand everything that they've just been through and they use that and it just catapults them into fantastic things, into incredible things. I actually saw an article that was sent to me that was titled 75% of super high achievers come from troubled beginnings. So that being said, I mean, you've heard all kinds of crazy things from celebrities and people like Oprah and stuff like that have gone through major, major, major adversity and have come out crazy on top because they've used those things and they've used those statistics and they've had an understanding. They've gained knowledge and understanding what they have against them. And they use that to say, never again. I will not go through that. I will not put my children through that. I will not pass this on to another generation. I will not succumb to that. I will not be homeless. I will not you know, be a high school dropout, whatever it is. They use that to catapult them into amazing, amazing things. And that is something that you are able to do, especially in America. I mean, the, the sky is the limit with that. So instead of using this as an excuse, you know, your adversity is an excuse to just fall into all of these things. Use 
all of these things to catapult you and to lift you up and to, you know, use your story to uplift others and encourage others. And so that is really the whole reason for this podcast in the first place is just to kind of lift other people up, but there is nothing that you can't do. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. There is nothing wrong with you. So I really, really hope that you learned something today and that you know that, hey, there's a lot of things that you can do to control the circumstances that you're in now, even though early on you didn't have a whole lot of choice in it. So um, there's that. And next time I'm going to be talking about um, a study that was done on childhood adversity and all the childhood traumas that there are and what is actually each one of those traumas, what they cause, like mentally, the things that you go through, the anxieties, the frustration, the worry, the you know um, flashbacks, PTSD, all of those things. And to remind you guys that you're not crazy. You are not crazy. This is the way that you were manufactured. And of course, it's a bad hand. You've been dealt a bad hand. There are things to do to overcome those things and you can work on those. And so I'm going to really go over that next time so that you'll just understand, man, all of that stuff. I never even knew that. I never knew that that was something that's normal to deal with. I'm not crazy. So that gave me a lot of life that really grounded me. And so I'm going to go over that next time um, in the third episode of all that trauma. So I hope that you come back and join me for that. Uh, But for now, if you do have a story to share or want to reach me for any reason, please email me at allthattrauma at gmail.com. And if this episode is encouraging to you, if you've been listening to this podcast and you want to make sure that you don't miss another episode, please make sure that you subscribe and that you're following, like if you're on Spotify or whatever, wherever you're getting your podcast, so that every time an episode comes up, you are notified. But for now, thank you for joining me on this journey through all that trauma.